Good evening. I hope you've had a great day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. My name is Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a good night's sleep with public domain short stories that you've all heard before, but you haven't heard in a good long while. Links to tonight's stories are in the show notes at bedtimewithbvj.com. Tonight's story... Little Girl Afraid of a Dog by Mary E. Wilkins Freeman The chickens are beginning to lay again, said Emmeline's Aunt Martha, and Emmeline can begin carrying eggs to the poor Tickners tomorrow. Martha, who was quite young and pretty, cast a glance of congratulation at Emmeline, as if she were proposing a great pleasure. Emmeline's mother echoed her sister, Yes, that is so said she. Sydney, Sydney was the man, said yesterday that the chickens were laying very well. Tomorrow, Emmeline shall begin. Only think how nice it is going to be for those poor techners, with all those children, to have half a dozen new laid eggs every day, said Martha, again with that congratulatory glance at her little niece, who sat beside the window holding her best doll. We shall be able to send more than that some days, I dare say, said Emmeline's mother. Maybe when I go to the store, I will buy a pretty new basket for you to carry the eggs in, dear. Yes'm, said Emmeline in a low voice. She sat full in the glow of the setting wintry sun, and her whole little blonde head and delicate face were gilded by it. It was impossible for her mother and her aunt to see how she had turned very pale. She kept her face turned toward the window, too, and when she said, Yes'm, infused a hypocritical tone of joy into the word, although she was a most honest and conscientious little girl. In fact, the joy was assumed because of a Jesuit-like issue of conscience in her own inner dealings with herself. The Tickners, the poor Tickners, with a large brood of children lived about a half mile down the road, and Emmeline's mother and aunt esteemed it a great delight for her to carry eggs to them when eggs were plentiful. Emmeline herself never denied the delight. Emmeline herself never denied the delight, but God alone knew how glad she was, how wickedly, she told herself it was wickedly, how wickedly, she told herself that it was wickedly. Glad she was, when about Thanksgiving time, when people naturally wished to use more eggs, the chickens, after the perverse nature of their race, laid fewer eggs, and there were only enough for the family. Then Emmeline had a respite. She grew plumper, and there was some color on her soft, curving cheeks. Emmeline always seemed so much better this time of the year, her mother often said, and she never dreamed why it was. Although Emmeline could have told her, had it not been for her conscience, which pricked her on in spite of her pains. The Tickners had a dog, a very small dog, it is true, but with voice enough for a whole pack, and Emmeline was in mortal terror of him. He always barked at her when she went to carry the eggs, and he always sniffed ominously around her ankles. Sometimes he made bounds of vicious yelping joy at her, almost reaching her face, although he was a little dog. Emmeline was a little girl, small for her age, 
which was barely ten. She was very much under the dominion, the very loving dominion, of her mother and aunt. Her father was dead. The Ameses, Emmeline's last name was Ames, lived on a small farm and Sydney managed it. They were regarded as quite rich people in the little village where they lived, and they looked at themselves in that light. Therefore, they realized a sense of duty, of pleasurable duty, toward the less fortunate people around them. At that very moment, both Aunt Martha and Mrs. Ames were sewing upon garments for poor people, some strong and durable flannelette petticoats of soft pink and blue. Sometimes Emmeline herself was asked to sew a seam on these soft garments, and she always obeyed with the utmost docility, although she did not like to sew very well. She was a sober, reflective little girl, not exactly indolent, but inclined to sit quite still, while her young mind indulged in pryings into the future and conceptions of life and their own little niche in the universal scheme of things, which would have quite astounded her mother and her aunt Martha had they known of it. They saw in Emmeline only a darling, obedient, sweet little girl holding her doll baby, not as she really was, lit into flame by her own imaginings and the sun. Neither dreamed that, as she sat there and said, Yes'm, so prettily, she was shuddering in her very soul from a most exaggerated fear, stimulated by an imagination entirely beyond theirs of the Techner's little dog. Soon the copper-gilt glow faded from Emmeline's head and face, and she sat, a pale little shadow in the dusk, until her mother lighted the lamp, and Annie, the maid, came in to announce supper. Emmeline had not much appetite that night, although there were her favorite fried oysters and waffles. It seems as if the subject of the eggs and the Techner's which caused her to project more plainly her vision of fear concerning the little dog, could not be let alone. They had hardly seated themselves at the table before Annie spoke of the large number of eggs which had been brought in that day. Annie had been with the Ameses a long time and was considered quite a member of the family. "'I think you can carry a dozen eggs tomorrow morning, dear,' Emmeline's mother said happily. "Yes, 'm," replied Emmeline. Only think what it will mean to those poor Tickners, said Aunt Martha. Yes'm, said Emmeline. Then Emmeline's mother noticed that the child was not eating as usual. Why, Emmeline, she said, you have not have finished your oysters. Emmeline looked helplessly at her plate and said that she was not very hungry. She felt that she was wicked because she was not hungry since she was so afraid of the Tickner's little dog that she did not want to carry the eggs to them the next morning when they were so poor and needed the eggs so much. "'If you don't eat your oysters, you must swallow two raw eggs,' said Emmeline's mother suddenly. "'Annie, beat up two eggs with a little sugar and nutmeg and a little milk.' Emmeline felt more than just a physical loathing. She felt a moral loathing for anything in the shape of an egg.' but she swallowed the mixture, which Annie presently brought to her with her usual docility. "'That will be just as nourishing as the oysters,' said Aunt Martha. Aunt Martha had on her pretty blue gown. She was expecting Mr. John Adams that evening. It was Wednesday, and Mr. John always came on Wednesday and Sunday evenings. 
Emmeline knew why. She knew, with a shy and secret admiration, and a forecast of Wednesday and Sunday evenings yet to be, when some young, when some young man would come to see her. She made up her mind that she would wear red on those interesting occasions, which filled her, young as she was, with a sweet sense of mystery, with a sweet sense of mystery and prescience. She gazed at pretty Aunt Martha in her gown of soft blue, cut out in a tiny square at the neck, revealing her long white throat. She forgot for a second the Tickners and the Tickner dog, which represented the genuine bugbear of her childhood. Then the old fear overcame her again. Her mother regarded her and Aunt Martha regarded her. When then the two women exchanged glances. After supper, when they were all on their way back to the sitting room, Emmeline's mother whispered anxiously in Martha's ear, She doesn't look well. Martha nodded assent. I don't think she's had enough fresh air lately, she said in a low voice. It will do her good to take that morning run to the Tickner's. That is so, asserted Emmeline's mother. I'll have her go to bed early tonight. Then right after breakfast tomorrow morning, when the air is fresh, she can take the eggs to the Tickner's. Emmeline went to bed before Mr. John Adams arrived. Her mother tucked her in and kissed her, then blew out the lamp and went downstairs. Emmeline had said her prayers, introducing, mentally, a little cause with regard, a little clause with regard to the Tickner dog. It was a piteous little child called Cecil to the Lord's Prayer, and now I lay me what she always said. After her mother had gone downstairs, Emmeline lay awake staring at the darkness. The darkness very soon seemed to flicker with wildfire. Grotesque faces grinned at her from the midst of this fire, which was and was not. A terrible horror, of which the little bugbear dog was the keystone, was over her. She wanted so to call her mother to get up and run downstairs into the lamp-lit sitting room, but she lay still, stiff and rigid. She had too much self-control for her own good, young as she was. Presently, she heard the distant tinkle of the front doorbell and heard Aunt Martha open the door and greet Mr. John Adams. Again, for a second, her own spirit of joyous prophecy was over her, but after Mr. John Adams and Aunt Martha had gone into the parlor and she could only hear the faint hum of their voices, she returned to her former state. However, it was not very long before her attention was again diverted. Mr. John Adams had a very deep bass voice. All of a sudden, this great bass was raised. Emmeline could not distinguish one word, but it sounded like a roar to her. Then, also... She heard her Aunt Martha's sweet, shrill voice almost loud enough for the words to be audible. Then she heard doors opening and shutting with almost a slam. Then she was certain she heard a sob from the front entry. Then she heard the sitting room door open with a fling, then a continuous agitated hum of conversation between her mother and aunt. Emmeline wondered why, Emmeline wondered why Mr. John Adams had gone so soon. Emmeline wondered why Mr. John Adams had gone so soon, and why he had almost slammed the door, and what her aunt and mother were talking about so excitedly. Then, as she had not much curiosity, her mind reverted to her own affairs, and again the wildfire of the darkness flickered and the grotesque faces grinned at her, and all the pleasant 
gates of sleep and dreams were guarded against her by the Techner's little dog. Emmeline slept very little that night. When she did sleep, she had horrible dreams. Once she woke crying out and her mother was standing over her with a lighted lamp. What is the matter? Are you ill? asked her mother. Her mother was much older than Aunt Martha, but she looked very pretty in her long, trailing white robe with a lamplight shining upon her loving, anxious face. I had a dream, said Emmeline faintly. I guess you were lying on your back, said your mother. Turn over on your side, darling, and try to go to sleep again. Don't think about the dream. Remember how you are going to carry eggs to those poor Techner children tomorrow morning. Then I know you will go to sleep. Yes, am said Emmeline, and she turned obediently on her side, and her mother went out. Emmeline slept no more that night. It was about four o'clock in the morning. The Ameses had quite an early breakfast at seven o'clock. Emmeline reflected that in three hours she should be up and dressed and at the breakfast table. That breakfast would take about half an hour. That in about three hours and a half she would be on her way to the Tickner's. She felt almost as a condemned criminal might have felt on the morning of his execution. When she went laggingly downstairs as Annie played a discordant chime on the string of Japanese bells, she felt weak and was very pale. Her mother and Martha, who herself looked wretched, as if she'd been weeping all night, glanced at her and then again at each other. It will do her good to get out in the fresh air, said Martha, stifling a heavy sigh. Emmeline's mother looked commiseratingly at her sister. Why don't you slip on your brown gown and go with her, dear, she said. You look as if the air would do you good, too. Annie, coming in with the eggs, cast a sharp glance of mangled indignation and sympathy at Miss Martha. She knew perfectly well what the matter was. She had abnormally good ears and had been in the dining room the evening and before, and had been in the dining room the evening before, when Mr. John Adams was in the parlor with Miss Martha, and there was a door between, a badly hung door, with cracks in it, and she had heard. She had not meant to listen, although she felt that all the affairs of the Ames family were her own, and she had a perfect right to know about them. She knew that Mr. John Adams had been talking about where he and Miss Martha should live after they were married, and had insisted upon her going to live in the old Adams homestead, with his mother and elder brother and two sisters, instead of living right along with Emmeline and her mother and herself, Annie. She considered that Miss Martha had done exactly right to stand out as she had done. Everybody knew what old Mrs. Adams was, and one of the sisters was called Quick-Tempered, and the elder brother was unmarried, and there was therefore no possible reason why Mr. John Adams should feel obliged to remain at home after his marriage. On the other side, it would obviously be very hard for Emmeline's mother to part with her sister and live alone in her big house with Emmeline and Annie. It was a very large house and there was plenty of room, whereas the Adams house was small. There could be no question, so Annie thought, and so Emmeline's mother thought, and so Martha herself thought, that she had done right. Martha reasoned it out in her own mind that John Adams could not care so very much for her 
or he would not insist upon subjecting her to such discomfort and annoyance as she would evidently experience if she were to live in the Adams house after her marriage. John had always been frank about his mother's difficult temper and his sister's, although he was a devoted son and brother. He knew, too, that Martha could not have a sitting room to herself on which to display her wedding treasures, and she could have that in the Ames house. She considered within herself that he could not possibly love her as much as she had supposed, because he had given no reason whatsoever to his insistence that she should comply with his wishes except that they were his wishes. Martha had a pretty spirit of her own, and she resented anything like tyranny, even in those whom she loved. So she had her held high, although her eyes were red, and said in reply to her sister's suggestion that she rather thought she would not. She thought she would take the 10.30 train to Bolton and do a little shopping. She wanted to see about a spring suit, and the sooner she got the material to the shoemakers, the better. She said it exactly as if she had not planned to have that same spring suit her going-away costume when she was married. Martha had expected to be married the 1st of June. It was now March. When she said that about going to Bolton, her sister's face brightened, and she gave her a look of pride in her spirit. So I would, said she. She did not notice at all how Emmeline's face fell. For a second, the thought of her aunt's going with her to the Tickners and shooing away with her superior courage and strength, that dreadful little dog, had caused her heart to leap exultantly. But now that chance of respite was gone. She took a spoonful of her cereal, puckering a little mouth most pathetically after she had swallowed it. She did not care for cereal, and ate it only because her mother and aunt said that it was good for her. Emmeline had begun to wonder why so many things which she disliked, and so many things which she more than disliked, were so good for her. She acquiesced in the wisdom of her elders, but she wondered. She ate her cereal, then her soft-boiled egg on toast. She hated eggs that morning, although usually she liked them. She felt as if she was fairly eating her terror and dread of what lay before her. Eggs were so intimately associated with it. It seemed to her that the fear in her heart was enough, without being obliged to have it in her stomach also. After breakfast, Emmeline put on her red coat and hat. She was still wearing her winter garments, and her mother gave the basket of eggs to her and kissed her. "'Don't walk too fast and get all tired out, dear,' she said." She and Martha stood at the window watching the gay little figure move slowly down the road. They need not have cautioned her against speed. She did not feel in the least inclined to hurry. The child does not look very well this morning, said Mrs. Ames. She has that old anxious expression again, and she is pale. And she ate her breakfast as if she did not want it. Ate it just as if she was swallowing pills, said Annie. Yes, she did, Mrs. Ames agreed anxiously. Well, the walk in the fresh morning air will do her good, said Martha. I must make a start if I'm going to catch that 10.30 train. I must mend my gloves. I think I will wear my brown taffeta. I may call at the Robinses while I am in Bolton. I would, said Mrs. Ames. It was tacitly understood between them that nothing more was to be said about Mr. John Adams, that the whole subject was to be left out of sight and hearing, and everything else 
was to go on as before. However, as the last glimpse of Red disappeared down the street and Martha's step was heard overhead, her sister thought how glad she was that she had proposed going to Bolton. It will take her mind up, she thought, but she would not have said it to Martha for the world. Meanwhile, Emmeline continued slowly, but nonetheless surely, on her road to the Tickners. It was a perfectly straight road for a quarter of a mile, then it curved. It was not until one passed this curve that one could see the Tickners' ragged, squalid residence. Then one saw it as a blur on the landscape. How Emmeline dreaded rounding that curve. She walked very slowly, towing in a little, as was her wont when she was nervously intent. She prayed incessantly, and her poor little prayer ran in this wise. O Father in heaven, please take care of me, and don't let Spotty come near me, nor hurt me, nor bark at me. Emmeline repeated this prayer over and over in a sort of rhythmic cadence. She she fairly kept step with it, and yet she had not the slightest faith in the prayer. She could not really see why she should have. She had always prayed in such wise while carrying eggs to the Tickners, and Spotty had never failed to race barking out to meet her and sniff at her nervous, twitching little ankles and try little nips and tugs at her skirts. The prayer had never, so far as she could see, been answered. And why should she expect it to be now? Emmeline was a very honest little girl. She was reverent and she believed God could keep Spotty from barking at her, but she did not believe that he would. Moreover, she was Christian enough to hope and trust somehow that these agonies of terror which she was called upon to undergo were in the end for her spiritual good. She did not complain, but she knew that she suffered, and she knew that Spotty would not fail to bark. Presently she turned that dreaded curve of the road, and she could see the wretched place where the Tickners lived. The dwelling itself was an unpainted, out-of-drawing shanty, leaning so far to one side that it seemed it must topple over, but saving itself by a lurch in another direction. It was a very drunkard of a house, a habitation which had taken upon itself the character of its inmates. It was degenerate, miserable, and oblivious to its misery. Beside this main shanty was a stable, far out of the perpendicular, out of which looked a high-hipped cow. Sometimes Emmeline was afraid of the cow, which was often at large, but never as of the dog. There was also a pigsty and various other horrible little adjuncts of the main hole. Emmeline shuddered as she came inside of it. The mere aspect of the place would have gotten on her sensitive nerves, even if Spotty had not been there. But immediately, breaking upon her prayer, came the well-known vicious little yelp. Spotty was a mongrel, but he had wondrous ears. Emmeline espied the little animal coming for her so fast that he seemed a mere line of speed, but never ceasing that wild yelp. Emmeline prayed on and walked on. It was strange that she never at such times thought of turning round and running. It never occurred to her to disobey a mother and not take the eggs to the Tickners. She walked along, praying, her heart beating heavily, her limbs shaking. The little dog reached her. That's going to be all for tonight. We try to keep these under 30 minutes so that you can drift off to sleep without missing anything. Part 2 will be released very soon.
In the meantime, if you have a story you'd like me to read, email me, bigvoicej at gmail.com. We're available everywhere, even on your smart speaker. Just say, play BVJ's Bedtime Stories. And it should work. As far as I know, it does. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) 